And we're going to be looking at things concerning employer, employee, workplace relationships. Now, you may say, wait a minute, I've been retired for a long time, or I'm not working right now. How does this apply to me? It applies to the body of Christ, because this is written for all of us. He doesn't say all of a sudden, the rest of you can ignore this if you're not working. You know why? Because you influence people who are working. So if we don't believe the same thing, it doesn't work. You become the peer group, even if you're retired, even if you're not working yet, you become the peer group for the truth. And so we need to understand that, that this, this truth applies to all of us, whether we're, we're working or have worked or uh, we're in between jobs, whatever the case may be, uh, the application um, is just as important for all of us from the scripture. So we're going to be looking at verses 18 through 21, 18 through 21. We're just going to kind of touch on 21, then we're going to come back to it after Christmas as well uh, as we look at 21 through 25 to the end of the chapter. So if you've got your Bible with you and your turn there, please stand if you can as we read God's word together, beginning in verse 18. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. For this finds favor, if for the sake of conscience toward God, a man bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience. Makes logical sense, right? But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor, same word again, with God. Verse 21, for you have been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. You may be seated. Father in heaven, we just ask now as we look into your word again this morning that your Holy Spirit would reveal the truth to us, would take your truth, make it clear, and apply it to each one of our hearts, that we might come away from this place encouraged, challenged, knowing more about your heart and your desire for us and your plan and purpose for us. Be our teacher this morning, Lord God. We ask in the name of the Savior of Christmas, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, Ben is upset. He's upset, he's disappointed, and he's unsure of what to do next. After switching jobs three times in the last five years, Ben, who is a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, was totally convinced that this time was the dream position. But the honeymoon has faded fast. High expectations from an unfriendly and an unreasonable boss has, has soured his attitude and greatly reduced his motivation on the job. He needs the paycheck, he needs the benefits, but wishes now he had given his job search a little more time. Then there's Russell. Russell knows Christ, but Russell can barely make himself answer another email. His boss, who is out on the golf course once again, he takes up the slack for, racking up 60 hours a week and occasional Saturdays 
with little to show for it. Resentment and anger are beginning to creep into Russell's work attitude. And then meet Kim. Kim is a follower of Jesus, but Kim cannot stand her manager. He seems to ridicule her Christian values every chance he gets. She wants to pursue some sort of legal recourse while openly discussing what a total jerk he is with other co-workers on her team. Ben, Russell, and Kim. Maybe you know them. Maybe you can relate to parts of their stories that I've shared this morning. They all represent a swiftly changing work ethic in the Western world today. Gallup's just released, in fact, it was just a week ago, what is titled a workplace report for the year 2023, finds job satisfaction in America at its lowest point in many years, dropping 10% just this year alone, with over 34% of 57,000 surveyed workers saying they dread starting each workday. Even in situations where there was more money given, greater flexibility, and increased benefits. Now, what is happening here? And more importantly, where are God's people in all of this? Isn't there something that should stand out? Isn't there something that is, that is different consistently daily in a born-again employee? I think Peter under the inspiration of God's Holy Spirit, would enthusiastically say yes. There is a a gospel dynamic, an an observable, applicable part of our identity in the Lord Jesus Christ that, that changes how we see the workplace, how we approach the workplace, and changes how we view the work environment. Well, what is that? Well, before we wade into verse 18, let's clarify a few things. So Peter, when he says at the beginning of verse 18, he uses a word. He uses a word that in the New American Standard Bible, which I'm using here this morning, has been translated as servants. Unfortunately, if you have an NIV, it is translated the word as slaves, Slaves. So you start verse 18 with the word slaves. Now that's a trigger word, isn't it? Well, what is Peter talking about here? And and how does all this transfer then to modern employment? Or does it? Well, the usual word for slave, doulos, in the Greek language, is not the word that is used here. The word in the original Greek is oiketos, which is a household worker or a servant. So what was that in Roman culture and the Roman world? What defined that status in society? Well, they were not generally regarded as property, It was not a a racial thing in any way. It was a temporary arrangement where the servant or the household worker would give up some of their rights, some of their legal protections. They were paid. Many of them had benefits. And they were always given the option that at some point, if they made enough money and if they chose to, they could purchase their own freedom. 
But all this said, this did not shield them from difficult situations. This did not shield them from unreasonable, very hard labor. This did not shield them from very brutal masters and all kinds of abuse and different things. We live in a fallen world. The system was not a great one. It was broken. It was bad. There were many that took advantage of the system. But because fully one-third to a half of the Roman population were employed this way, we can pretty much assume that this was the norm as far as work went and the workplace was viewed for Peter's first century audience. So how could they stand out? How could, how could they and, and us here in this room uh, apply their identity, which Peter has just talked about in chapter 1, Remember we said, if you've followed along with us these last couple of weeks, Peter has reached this point now where he has told us who we are in Jesus Christ, but is now pivoted to the application of that identity. He's taken the, the great theological truth of our, our difference in Jesus and his purchase of us and what that means for us, our status in God's kingdom. And he's transferred that now to how do we make that application to different areas of life. And the first area that he addresses is the area of authority. So we had authority last week in the area of government, our relationship to government and politics. Now he pivots to that same authority question, but how does that show up in the workplace? And so we need to ask some questions here of the text. First of all, what is the main requirement? And so we're going to go back to verse 18. We're going to go back to that first word, which is the first word in the original Greek order of the sentence, translated here as servants or household servants. He says that explains what that means. So inherent in the word is to be submissive, but he says, servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. So what is the main requirement? Same as in verse 13, to be submissive. Now you say, well, wait, wait a minute. We're doing this all over again. Okay, this was rough to deal with last Sunday when we talked about governing authorities. We talked about the government, and we, we laid the context there with the, the horrible dictator Nero, one of the bloodiest, most cruel dictators in history. And now we're transferring that over to the workplace, but we're going to an extreme here. None of us are slaves in this room. None of us are household servants. So we're taking the extreme and we're looking at how does Peter say to react in this environment and then you and I can make application in the same way but to a lesser situation. So there's some drama in that when we see what these people were told to do in situations that you and I will probably never be in in our lifetime in relation to how we can apply our identity to Christ in a submissive way in a workplace authority environment. So no doubt there's an immediate rub here. Submission, when we hear the word in the workplace, we're going to think of things immediately like being walked on. 
or being taken advantage of or to care less or set aside my workplace rights and benefits, right? Not here. Because this grammatically extends back to verse 13 where he is saying, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake. To verse 15 where he says, for such is the will of God. That's why it doesn't depend on how good the boss is. He doesn't say be submissive if you've got a really nice boss. Or be submissive if all your workplace rights are being respected. Or be submissive if you really like your job and it's very rewarding personally. He doesn't say any of that. Because it extends back to that original idea, the same with the government, that we're doing this because the Lord is sovereign over the workplace as well. It's not some separate entity that's on the side that we place aside, that we say, well, I like to apply submission here, and I don't really mind applying it here, but that doesn't make any sense. Because we're doing it for the Lord. So it's a reflection of, it's a lower submission, but it's reflective of our first submission. That we do it for the Lord's sake as we submit to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why it doesn't matter how bad the boss is. Now, obviously, I'm not talking about a, a sexual abuse situation. Obviously, I'm not talking about something that's completely unethical or, or immoral. And we just submit. We, we will never transgress Scripture, what Scripture says. But we're talking about, I would think, if we were able to express ourselves in this room and have some kind of forum to talk about workplace, our workplace, and workplace issues in 2023, 99% of those would not be in that category. 99% of our frustration is with where I work, who I work for, the crummy benefits I have. I should be making more money. I was passed up for my promotion. I don't like the break room. It stinks. People leave rotten food in the refrigerator. I'm tired of working from home. I hate Zoom, right? None of that has to do with anything that would transgress Scripture. So we're submitting to Christ first. And note this too, what is not here. Peter's emphasis is not on abolishing the system, which is interesting. Peter's emphasis is not on, you know, if things don't go your way, servants, you can stage a community walkout. Peter's emphasis is not on protests, Peter's emphasis is on representing Jesus Christ under the authority of another. That's his emphasis here. Why are those up there? <laughs> those are some of our pictures from, we, we can get to those afterwards. Some of those uh, from what we did Thursday night, by, with, by the way, which was a lot of fun. So let's, Let's ask a second question then as we move on. What are the main reasons? What are the main reasons? And I think we see three here as we make application to the initial command to be submissive. 
to be submissive. So we find those reasons in 19 through 21. So let's consider each. The first one I would say is reason number one. So there's three. Reason number one is for favor. For favor. Verse 19 begins that way. For this finds favor... If for the sake of conscience toward God, a man bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. And then in verse 20, for what credit is there when you sin and are harshly treated? You endure it with patience. But if when you do what is right and suffer for it patiently and you endure it, this finds, same word, favor with God. So number one, he talks about favor. Well, what is he talking about? What does that mean? Why is he using the term favor? We could also translate that same word, and maybe it is in your Bible. Favor could also be translated as grace. So here's the basic idea. The, the Greek here is a little difficult to translate, but here's the basic idea. We have a unique opportunity to display God's grace in a difficult situation, one where most would be first inclined to retaliate or fight back or, or get angry. Now, when he uses the phrase conscious toward God, there's a sense here of, of being aware of God's ultimate control, God's sovereignty. There's an emphasis here on looking as an employee always at the bigger picture the bigger picture. And we saw this same emphasis when we were talking about our relationship to the government. There's a bigger picture here. Now he's adding here, and this will drip down into verse 21, that Christ endured injustice for something far greater. So our gracious reaction, so star starkly different, may accomplish something far greater. Now think of the impact. We don't really like to do this, I think, because we're so steeped in our own personal rights and following a certain protocol in our minds when, when things are not going our way, we find it completely acceptable to follow these different steps. But if you think about it, oftentimes our reaction is no different from somebody that doesn't know the Lord. We say, I have the right to recourse. I have the right to retaliate. I have the right to my rights. I have the right to fight back. That's our initial reaction. And unfortunately, I think for many Christians in the workplace, we just follow the lead. We stand in line with everybody else who doesn't know the Lord and find that completely acceptable because I'm not going to let anybody walk over me. But Peter is drawing us to the example of Christ. We don't find any cries for an uprising from Peter. We don't find any cries for, for Peter to say, organize a union and let's take care of this thing. You need all of those rights and you need to get what you deserve. We don't get that kind of motivational speak from Peter. He draws us to the example of Jesus. He draws us to the example of Jesus facing all of the injustice that he did and his reaction because always aware, conscious of the greater sovereignty of God who has the big picture in mind. Now think what 
kind of a difference there could potentially be if we reacted different as Christians. Now, we have no guarantee. There's no little formula here that says, well, if you react this certain way, then your boss is going to melt and he's going to become friendly overnight. Or if you do this particular thing and, and you don't rise up and complain and shout and, and get angry and want to retaliate, but you just submit that there's a guarantee your boss is going to come to know the Lord or all the employees watching are going to come to, to know the Lord. There's no guarantee there. Most of the population rejected Jesus Christ when he was on earth. But there's the potential. And anyway, we're not submitting based upon some kind of preconceived result on our behalf. We're submitting for the sake of the Lord. And we're trusting him. Why did Jesus Christ submit to all that injustice? Ultimately, because of his trust in the Father. Right? He submitted to insults. He submitted to mockery. He submitted to the crown of thorns, to being beat, to being rejected. The rejection of the religious leaders. He was spit upon. He was ultimately crucified. Why? Because he submitted because of his trust in the Father. He could have walked away at any time. He could have retaliated at any time. He could have raised a finger and everybody would have been dead on the ground. But he didn't. And Peter says we are to follow in his steps. Doesn't he say that? Is there any way around that? That's what he says. He's, he's making a direct relationship from our working under authority that in many times is not going to be pleasant. He's, he's presenting a situation here where the, the employer situation is not pleasant. And he's making a direct link to following in the steps of Jesus Christ. We have to remember that. There's a bigger picture. And that picture is our trust in God. That, that God is bigger than this one situation at work. That there's something else going on here potentially that is far greater that could have eternal consequences. That's what he's telling us. Much the same application that we looked at in relation to governing authorities. So that's why the second, the second part of this requirement, or not requirement, the second of these reasons would be for faith. And we see that at the beginning of verse 21. For you have been called for this purpose. For you have been called for this purpose. Think about that for a moment. You have been called for this purpose. It's directly linked to our identity in the Lord Jesus Christ. Verses 9 and 10 in chapter 2. What did he say? You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received 
mercy. How does that apply? How does that identity apply to our workplace? Uh, John MacArthur, Bible teacher John MacArthur, has these words. I thought it was well stated, simple but well stated in relation to this. It is more important to God that those who are citizens of heaven display a faithful testimony marked by spiritual integrity than that they strive to attain all their perceived rights in this world. It is more important to God for believers to uphold the credibility of gospel power than to obtain a raise or promotion in their vocation. It is ultimately far more important to God that believers demonstrate their submission to his sovereignty in every area of life than that they protest against problems at their workplace. Do you agree with that? Those are hard statements, aren't they? Those are hard statements to apply, but I think that's how steeped we are in our cultural values. When you go back to that workplace survey and you see how many people are unhappy in their jobs, I would imagine a lot of those are Christians. How many people say they dread going to work every morning? I would imagine a lot of those are believers. How many people believe that you should retaliate and there should be immediate recourse if, if any of their rights are even slightly rubbed up against? I believe many of those are probably believers. We need to step back from this and we need to look at how am I applying my identity in Christ? I'm born again. I'm a different person. I'm a new creature in Christ. How am I applying that to the workplace? How am I different? How is my attitude different because I'm a Christian? Not based upon my workplace. Well, if my circumstances were different, or if I had a different boss, or if I had better benefits, or if I got that pay raise I was supposed to get. But my current situation at work, how is my identity in Christ making a difference? Making me different in the workplace. The last part of this is for following. For following. So we've had for favor, we've had for faith, and now thirdly and lastly, for following. And as we look at the rest of verse 21, and I just mentioned it a few moments ago, leaving an example for you to follow in his steps. The, the word example is very interesting in the Greek language. The word example comes from a word picture, a teacher putting up a model of something for his or her students to copy. So if you were teaching people how to write or if you were teaching them the alphabet, you would put up a model and you would say, do these letters exactly on your piece of paper like I have them up on the screen. Or you would write them on a dry erase board. If you're doing handwriting, you would say, here's a capital A. Handwriting is coming back, by the way. They found out that it does something in the brain that just typing doesn't do. Interesting. So I put up a capital A, I say, you write that capital A exactly like the way I put it up. That was where the word that we've translated example comes from. Christ, the way that he lived, is our example, our modern, our, our, our model, our pattern. 
he willingly suffered. Why can't we sometimes? Sometimes I think we've adopted this value, and I'm just as guilty as anybody. We just think we deserve the best all the time. We think somehow, because we're Americans, we deserve to be 100% happy all the time. And we transfer that to the workplace. 100% happy. I've got to have the perfect boss. If my boss is in a bad mood all the time, I don't deserve that. That boss has got to go. If I'm told that I've got to have five Zoom meetings today, I can't stand Zoom meetings, that's unacceptable. I'm not happy. If the break room stinks like rotten food, I'm sick of it. I'm not happy. I'm not happy today. Get that stuff out of the break room, man, or you're going to put up with an unhappy guy all day long. That's where we are, right? How can we be different? Well, I want to give you a chance to participate participate a little bit here, and you're going to have to help me out because I'm flying solo with one good ear, and that ear is even halfway. So I, am, I do have a, uh, an appointment before we leave to go to the graduation uh, early this week, and hopefully we'll get both hearing aids back in. But So I might not hear everything that you're saying, but I wanted to give you an opportunity. Let's go back to our, our three real people at the beginning. We had who? Ben, we had Russell, and we had Kim. And I want you to help me help them. If you were in Ben's situation, remember Ben as he's upset, he's disappointed, he's unsure of what to do next. He's been switching jobs a lot, and he thought he found the dream job, but it's not the dream job. His boss is unreasonable. His, his workload is unreasonable. And now he's regretting that he didn't take longer to look for the perfect job. How would we counsel Ben? Ben's a believer. How would you counsel him? What should he do? Anybody? Get therapy. What was that? Get therapy. Get therapy. Okay. Physical therapy or anybody else? Okay. Okay. Joe said there's no perfect job, so you need to kind of have that realistic expectation. That's for Joe. Okay. Okay. There's no perfect job. Guess what? Is that true? You found that out to be true, right? Yes. Okay. Okay, good. Yeah, because Ben's just thinking about himself, right? So that's going to come across, doesn't it? When you're just concerned about yourself and, oh, I hate my job and this isn't what I thought it was going to be, and uh, then that, you don't think that comes out? You don't think people can spot that? You may not see it because it's somewhat deceptive, that introspection, but other people will see it. All right, let's look at Russell. Okay, Russell can barely make himself answer another email. His boss is never around, and he has to do all the stuff that maybe his boss should be doing, and he's working too much, and it's really affecting his attitude. So what should Russell do? Start As, his own company. Start his, 
start of some kind. Brilliant. All right. Anybody else? Okay. Okay. Get another job. Yeah, he has to get up the mindset of that. All the things that he does is to do it unto the Lord. So, as as opposed to his employer. Okay. So he needs a, he needs to switch his mindset as, as as he's doing his work as unto the Lord. Okay. So almost more importantly than the actual black and white nuts and bolts of what his situation looks like, the extent of the hours, the increased responsibilities, is the resentment and anger that are starting to come out. So he can't have immediate control over those circumstances, but it's affecting his attitude at work, right? Okay, let's look at Kim, lastly. Kim can't stand her manager, right? Her, her manager doesn't have any respect for her Christian values, so she's looking into legal recourse and all the while is slandering him among her team at work. What would be your advice to Kim? And don't just say, stop. Yeah. Okay. Okay, great. Yeah. Um, no, uh, oh, pray for the employer. Okay. Mm-hmm. He's got stuff going on. Just pray that the Lord will change his attitude and bless him. Okay, good. Good. Yes. Okay, good. Yeah. All right. Somebody else? Want to leave anybody out? Yes. I'll, I'll jump in again. If she's got that much negativity in her life, there's something wrong between her and the Lord. She needs to get that settled before she can get her work relationship settled. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, you can see here that these, it's a lot about attitude, isn't it? Just like it was in the earlier section about the government. The same thing happens at the workplace. It's not about my rights. It's not about my circumstances. It's not about the bad boss that I have. It's not about my increased responsibilities. It's not about my non-love of my job. It's about your attitude. And how important is your attitude at work? Makes all the difference in the world, doesn't it? Because your attitude is what is going to radiate and beam the difference in Christ. Your attitude is what people are going to see that is going to stand out. Not your attitude when everything is going your way and everything's great. You've got the nice boss and the clean workroom and no Zoom meetings and all of that. But your attitude under fire when things are not going your way, when the workplace is not very pleasant, when your boss may be oppressive and mean. What's our attitude like then? And that's where our identity in the Lord Jesus Christ makes its brightest application in the workplace. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for our discussion here and our consideration of your word and and the authorities that you've placed us under on this side of glory.
Help us, Lord, just to remember who we are in Christ and that there's always a bigger picture, that you and your holy sovereignty are, are always putting together all the pieces, and you see the bigger picture. Help us to trust in you. We pray together in Jesus' name. Amen.